Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they also learned along the way. Today, I have Lauren Fairbanks, the partner and CEO of SNG Content Marketing, an award-winning content marketing agency that creates branded content experiences for companies who want to stand out from their competitors. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. So we were obviously just talking about this like two seconds before uh, we started this, and it's all about plants, um, which is not normally the way I like to start, but I think it's just been like 90% of our conversation outside of this. So um, I want to start off by asking, it's obviously the winter when we're recording this, um, and I cannot get my seedlings to start in the winter. So I am just asking if you have any kind of suggestions for how I can do that. My best suggestion is to just wait until the spring because it's going to be a lot easier. (laughs) I I understand that feeling well. Um, If not, then you just have to recreate those kind of spring and summer months in your home. So use a space heater, get like a small space, put your seed starters in like a little container with a plastic top so that you get lots of sunlight, but you're keeping the heat humidity in there. Keep the humidity high and then get like one of those plant warming pads. Or you can even get like, a, you know how people used to use heating pads like in the 80s and 90s? I feel like no one uses heating pads anymore. Just, you know, plop them on top of a heating pad. As long as you just yeah. recreate those uh, those those warmer environments, you'll, you'll get them to start. Okay, perfect. I also am using those like little cardboard things and I have had no success. Like the things that you put the dirt in, the little cardboard things. Yeah. I have no success with those. I don't know. They have a couple of different kinds. You can actually use, uh, there's something that's more like a foam, almost like a like a softer styrofoam. Um, and sometimes I have luck with those. It's kind of hit or miss though. And seeds, yeah. are, seeds are challenging. Like you're always going to have like a very small percentage that actually sprout. So just go all out, try to start a bunch at once and then assume that like only three are going to grow. You, you, you mentioned that before, uh, and I did that and then five jalapeno plants came out and they, and it's not going well. (laughs) I mean, I got my first jalapeno, but, and then, uh, my cucumber, actually, I put two seeds solely based on your recommendation. My first one's like, you know, six inches and now the other one just started sprouting yesterday. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, You know what? When you have extra plants that sprout, those make great gifts. So. Although my mom says she's, she's done with me giving her plants as gifts. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for entertaining me on that. Um, now I suppose back to the, uh, what we're supposed to talk about, which is, um, you know, obviously how you started the agency, things you learned along the way and want to just open it up. And can you tell us a little bit more about the firm and how it started? Sure. Um, we've been around for 12, almost 13 years now. My partner and I actually started in the publishing industry. And uh, so when we when we decided to start the agency, it was kind of at the the beginning of content marketing when content marketing was sort of just becoming a real buzzword. Um, there weren't a lot of agencies that were really solely dedicated to content. You could you would see like some people doing content in the PR space or in the social space or in the SEO space, but it wasn't really as much of a kind of marketing focus as it is now. Um, and when my partner and I were working in editorial departments and publishing, we just started noticing a lot of advertisers that were coming to the editorial departments and asking if there were ways to create some more kind of narrative focused content or um, different types of content aside from just traditional marketing 
in order to launch their new products and services. And so it was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I thought this is really how marketing is kind of shifting in the future. Millennials were just coming into their buying power and by and large, they really just wanted to own the marketing and the sales process themselves. So what that means is that they didn't want people coming to them, sales reps coming to them sort of in a traditional sales process, telling them what they needed and why they needed it. They wanted to start the process on their own. They wanted to do their own research. They wanted to learn and be educated from a brand, but they didn't want to be kind of directly sold to. And so it was really a strong opportunity for brands to kind of jump on that bandwagon and start creating content that these consumers were looking for and being able to essentially push out content that was engaging and educational, um, but wasn't kind of overly salesy that would help attract these buyers and start leading them down the sales funnel in a more authentic way where they could really take the time to build a relationship with consumers. And then by the time consumers were ready to buy, they were already kind of like prepped and primed and, and perfect, uh, perfect leads. A couple questions there. Um, what first is, what do you think has changed? Like the biggest changes you've seen from when you started to now? Uh, that's a great question. So, I mean, I think, probably the biggest change has just been kind of the type and the format of content. So when we started, there was a lot of content that was very informational. So think of like how to articles, things that were very sort of technically focused, like these are all the things that you need to know about our industry or, or, or our product. Um, whereas now there's much more of a shift towards thought leadership. So kind of top of the funnel content, really just becoming an expert in your industry, in your space. Not to say that thought leadership hasn't been around the whole time it has been, but I think there's more of a focus that brands are seeing a lot more value in building thought leadership rather than kind of focusing on that mid-funnel and bottom-of-funnel content that is all about convert now, let's get a deal, let's get a sale right now. And you mentioned mentioned your significant other. I don't know if you mentioned um, starting the company with them, um, if you did, or if they're involved now, still, what the heck is that like? Um, you know what? There's a surprising number of couples that actually start companies together. And uh, I've talked to a lot of them because when we first started the agency together and we are still running the agency together and are still together. Um, so success story, I guess. Um, but when we first started the agency, I actually reached out to a couple of, uh, of acquaintances that I knew. Um, one couple that had started and ran an agency together. Um, and then a couple of other people that had started other businesses with their spouse. And I was like, tell me, am I making a huge mistake? Um, and really like the, the advice kind of ran the gamut. I mean, some people were really thrilled to be working with their spouse. Other people were like, it's very stressful. Why would you do this to yourself? Um, I will say that it's actually been really great for, for us. Like, I think as long as you have that ability to kind of compartmentalize your life a little bit, so you've got work and you've got kind of personal time and home time and family time, it, it's actually really, I, I enjoy working with my spouse because I enjoy my spouse. Like we're friends, we're partners. So I feel like it makes sense to want to work with the same person that you're sharing your life with. You kind of started to get into it, but like, what do you think? And and you can say, I have nothing more to this, but what do you think makes it work? Um, I think communication makes it work. Um, but I think that's kind of a, an easy answer, right? Like communication makes everything better. It makes your client relationships better. It makes any relationship better. Um, but yeah, you really just have to be able to able and willing to, 
hash out any disagreement and any argument and get to the bottom of it and get to the bottom of it quickly. Um, Luckily, he and I are actually both sort of blunt and have no problem just laying our shit out there. So anytime there's any kind of disagreement, we're just like, okay, well, here's what I think. Here's what I think. We hash it out and then we move on. And say pass to this. Um, Has it ever not worked that well? How did you get out of that? To be completely honest, like we've never had an issue where we've not been able to work something out. Um, Not to say that that won't ever happen, but I do feel like we have good enough communication that I don't think that that's a big concern. It's definitely not a concern that I have. Yeah, we've had a few people on this show that have had that work with their significant other. And like you said, we've had the gambit of responses that they've stayed together happily. They've stayed together, maybe not so happily. And then they've uh, grown apart or separated and still run the company together. So um, still positively, I think. Um, So yeah, yeah, I think I think it really is more about the individuals rather than like this giant rule that says this is going to work or this is not going to work. I agree. Psychology and and understand relationships, which I'm not definitely not going to do or get into. (laughs) So Um, back to the business, uh, really just want to understand how you got your first customer. So I don't know how most people get their first customers, but I just from the beginning, I always just instead of thinking like, what does everyone else do? Or what do other agencies do? Um, I just think, what's the most logical way for me to do this thing that I need to do? Um, so when we were trying to get our first customer, the most logical thing for me was that I've got a couple thousand people in my, you know, my Gmail contact list. I'm just going to put together an email, letting people know that I've started an agency and this is what we're doing and ask if anyone needs our services or if they want to refer us to anyone. Um, And so I did that. I sent it out. I got a response from a person who had interviewed me years prior um, for actually like an executive assistant job to the CEO. And he was the CEO of this company. Um, And he actually had turned me down. Like we had a great interview. It was like an hour and a half. We had a great conversation. And at the end of it, he was like, you know, I think you're a great candidate, but I'm not going to hire you. And I was kind of floored because I was like, what just happened here? Like, did I completely misread the situation? Um, and he was like, you are, he was like, you clearly are smart. You're, you know, like you have ambition, but he was like, you would make a terrible assistant. Hmm. And when I was sitting there, I was like, you're right. Like I would make a terrible assistant. He was like, I'm looking for someone who's going to stick with me for a while. Who's going to do the stuff. And he was like, and you're not that person. And I was like, you know what? Fair enough. I appreciate your honesty. And we kind of moved on. He's always told me to stay in contact. When he got my email, he responded. He was like, this sounds great. We actually have a need for this. And he became our first client um, pretty quickly and did a sizable project with us. And that's how we kicked off off our agency. What was the project? It was a content project. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but some type of content campaign. But it was about $25,000. So... You know, like when you're getting started and you're trying to scrape in every, every dollar, like it was, it felt very substantial to us then. And it was like, it was, it was a great, uh, it was a great kickstart project. Well, most, most people don't charge their first customer. You get a similar-ish um, ways of getting first customer. It's usually in your network or something like that. Yeah. Um, but most don't charge or especially don't charge that much. So one, how did you feel confident enough to do that? And two, how'd you come up with the number? 
to be honest, it never occurred to me to do a project for free. <laughs> I was like, we're doing work. Oh, yes. I believe in our work. I think we're yeah, good at what sure. we do. And so I'm going to charge what I think is market rate for it. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that it's a bad idea to offer to do a couple of projects for free and get some, some expertise and some uh, experience and some case studies under your belt. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, that's actually not a bad approach, but it just didn't occur to me at the time. No, that's, are you kidding me? That's great. I, I'm going to put a random percentage and say like, you're 80 percent over 50 percent started with the unpaid project um so yeah again touche to you what about your second customer how'd you guys get that and if it's the same mailing list then how did you get your first customer after the mailing list that's a good question um i know we got a couple we got a couple of clients and a couple of projects from that email um they were a lot smaller and then to be honest i don't remember how we got our next couple of clients if, I feel like it was probably a referral. Well, that might be the answer to the question I was going to ask, which is how do you get your customers now? How we get our customers now is kind of a hybrid between uh, doing some some cold outreach and just kind of prospecting like see with normal sales teams. And then we also get a lot of leads in online. So we get a lot of people coming in through our web form and we do... We do different outreach. So we do some paid ad campaigns with some kind of agency platforms like agency referral platforms, which works out well for us. Um, we also, you know, we create our own content marketing. So we do blogging, we leverage social to distribute our content and build awareness. So we also get leads in from that as well. And you mentioned in our conversation prior to this uh, that you tend to not run your business like with a small business mindset. And rather than me, kind of explain what that means, want to have you kind of just break it down and maybe what you think that other agencies kind of get wrong. Yeah. Um, so when I say that, you know, we try not to run our business with a small business mentality, I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times what that means is that a lot of people run their business as a lifestyle business and there's nothing wrong with running a lifestyle business. It really just depends on what your goals are. Um, and how I define a lifestyle business is basically you kind of keep your business boutique. You have, you know, one to two founders. You're kind of running the day-to-day. -day. You may have like five or six employees. Um, basically, no real level of middle management. And basically, everything that you make in profit actually just goes back to the founders. And it provides a nice, comfortable life for you to be able to do whatever you want and to keep your income fairly high and to, you know, grow, but grow at kind of small increments over the years. Um the way that we've kind of built our built our agency is with growth in mind. Um, we have very aggressive growth goals um, over the next five years. We we've invested heavily in a middle management layer a lot sooner than we necessarily needed to because we wanted to have that structure in place because we know that in a year, in three years, in five years, we're going to be much larger. Um, and so we just made. We make a lot of decisions based on kind of the agency that we plan to be in the future and we kind of work backwards to figure out like, what do we need to put in place? What processes do we need to have? What kind of infrastructure um, and how do we build out our teams? Like, how do we kind of build out these departments? What kind of capabilities do we need to add? So we're always kind of thinking about these things. And I think that a lot of times small businesses and not even agencies in general, but a lot of, uh, a lot of times small businesses kind of think in the short term. And they don't really think about like, 
with the what they want to grow into, what their exit plan is. Um, and we've just kind of taken the opposite approach. We've identified what we want our exit plan to be, what our company growth goals are, and then we work backwards from there to figure out like what do we need to put into place now in order to get here in a year, in three years, in five years. That was that was literally my question is, uh, do you have a specific goal? Even if it's not specific, do you have a goal um, of growth or is it just grow, grow, grow? No, we, we've got very specific growth goals in terms of like the revenue that we want to be at. Um, we have goals in terms of the client, the types and the size of clients that we want to be working with, you know, the, the near term and the long term. Um, and then we have, you know, goals for how we want to potentially exit the agency when we're, when we're, when we're done. What customers then maybe like, have you started with or had in the first few years that you're not really looking to take on anymore? So, I mean, in the beginning, we worked with a lot of small businesses, as I think a lot of agencies do, just because you're still kind of working out, you're figuring out your pricing, you're figuring out your services, you're figuring out how to scale. Um, And so, you know, when we started off, we worked with a lot of small businesses, we would work with a lot of franchise businesses and not like the, not like the corporate offices of franchise, but uh, the individual franchisees. And so that kind of gave us a nice foundation. It gave us a lot of experience in a lot of different industries. And then as we've grown, um, what we've done is kind of sort of started to weed out the smaller companies and then move more into mid-sized companies. And then as we've moved into mid-sized companies, we've been expanding more into working with enterprise companies and kind of, you know, continuing to weed out the smaller companies. Because at some point, you know, as you grow, like when you want to hit high revenue numbers, you can't really necessarily do that with, you know, just continuing to target small businesses. You're going to like max out on revenue or your employee costs are going to grow to be too high. So at some point you have to start targeting larger companies that have larger budgets. Sure. And is there like a difference of the content that you produce for those three sizes? So, you know, small, medium, and then large, or is it essentially relatively the same? Um, we don't really work that much with small businesses anymore. Most of our clients are mid-sized companies and enterprise. And I would say that the types of content that we create for those types of companies is generally kind of the same. I think what changes is the scope. Um, so like how many deliverables or like how many campaigns you're creating on a monthly or quarterly basis. Um, and maybe sort of like the variety of content formats. So smaller companies are going to have more limited budgets. They might be focused more on creating, you know, white papers and, you know, thought leadership content and articles to drive organic SEO. Um, Whereas larger companies with larger budgets might want to try out and experiment more interactive content like calculators or um, any number of like additional things that they could see, you know, if, content type A is going to be, you know, drive more legion and more engagement than content type B. So really just and quickly going back to like the growth plan and everything. Um, who was your first hire and why did you make that hire? Our first real hire um, was a, an account manager slash project manager. Um, and he's actually still with us today, but he was, he was the first kind of critical hire who really came in and was like, you guys are a mess. <laughs> we need to create and build some processes and figure out like, how do we manage clients effectively? How do we make sure we're hitting deadlines on time? Um, 
And I will say like finding someone who has account management skills and project management skills is finding like a needle in a haystack. So he's, he's been amazing and he's really like built out our entire account management and project management teams and departments. So now when you're looking to hire someone new, or actually when you decide that you need to hire someone new, for lack of a better question, like why, why do you feel like what pain point or what happens that you feel like, okay, it's time to hire someone new in that position? So I don't know that I would necessarily call it a pain point, but um, we've, we've really tried to sort of operationalize our, our creative teams. Um, well, not even just creative teams, like our account teams to really understand like, what is the workload of every role that we have internally? Um, and where do they hit max capacity? So that once we get to, let's say like 90, 95% capacity, um, with everyone on our team, then we know that like, if we hit max capacity, say for eight weeks, then we know that we need to start looking at staffing up. Is it like steam coming out of the ears or what are you like, what are you seeing that's, that says that? So we track in our project management. Faces turning red, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We don't ever want it to get to that point. Um, (laughs) I know some agencies, like, they kind of, uh, they operate with, you know, pants on fire all the time. I really don't want our team to feel like that. I don't want our team to feel, like, stressed out and overworked. So we try to make sure that we're keeping a good handle on capacity at all times. We're not, you know, like, we're always learning. I think capacity, like, managing capacity, especially with professional services in place, is kind of challenging because like workloads can shift, like clients, you know, scopes can change, clients come and go. So it's hard to manage that really well, but we do track all of that in our project management software. So we know like at what capacity, essentially we're tracking capacity utilization. So we know like where our, each editor is with capacity, where each writer is, account manager, project manager. Um, And so when we notice that across an entire department, we've got high capacity, then we know, okay, we need to start looking at hiring. And then we compare that to our pipeline, our sales pipeline to figure out what do we have that's likely to sign within the next 30, 60, 90 days? And what are the staffing needs going to be for those accounts? And I think we've got, we're in a pretty good cadence now. We have a pretty good idea of when we need to to staff up. Yeah, I ask because I don't think there is a perfect science when it comes to when and why or who you should be hiring. Um, you know, obviously even the biggest companies in the world right now are all going through layoffs because they all hired too many, too many people, you know, in the last three years. And then, oh my goodness, you know, we don't have X, whether it's revenue or whatever to continue keeping. So it's not a small business meeting. It's, it's an all business problem. And I always think it's really interesting to dive into the thought process of why people hire when they do and everything. So uh, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that or I can just move. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's interesting too, like watching all the layoffs happen. Um, and with tech, I mean, tech was kind of a unique situation, right? Like tech companies, you know, you're talking about a lot of companies that were funded that were pre-revenue. So for them, like staffing, even if their percentage of, of staffing cost relative to their amount of funding, like they don't really have to think about it in terms of I'm overstaffed, I'm not profitable because they're not really worried about revenue and profitability at that stage. Um, and then the the larger tech companies, the thing, um, they really people got a little too a little too excited about like the the increase in sort of shopping and 
digital uh, technology when the pandemic happened. And I think a lot of that was just a lack of foresight, you know, like the reality was that the kind of the frenzied transition to everything digital was never going to keep increasing the way it was. And tech companies got a little bit ahead of themselves and frankly overhired and created a bit of a hiring frenzy that I think really permeated out to a lot of non-tech companies. Um, it's why, you know, we saw a lot of salaries going up um, and salaries were a lot more competitive. Hiring was a lot more competitive, just really like across all industries. Um, so it's nice to see a little bit of a reset. It's not nice that people are getting laid off. Like that's horrible. Um, but, you know, we've still got um, unemployment numbers are still low and it looks like a lot of people who are getting laid off are finding jobs, you know, relatively quickly, even if it's not with other tech companies. So they're moving to other industries. So. Yeah, I agree. I, it, it is mainly on the tech side too. Uh, coming up towards the end, I just have a few questions that I, I tend to ask everyone. Um, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Um, that's a great question. Uh, if I had to teach something to other marketers, I don't think it would actually be about marketing. I think it would be more, actually, I know exactly what it would be. It would be, if it's an in-house marketer, it would be about how to make a business case for getting agency support and bringing on external partners and how to convince your higher-ups in the C-suite that this is what you need. I think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with. And I know it's something that I've struggled with a lot when you know we started the company was really kind of understanding how do we how do we package our proposals and all of the collateral, the sales collateral that we're sending over in a way that's going to support our point of contact and help them make a case for us internally. Because that's really what you're doing. Like you're arming your point of contact with everything they need to sell you to their boss. That is, uh, I, you're the first person to bring that up. And I think it's one of the most important things that I learned actually in the sales space, which is it's so important to control the messaging all the way down to the decision maker. Cause a lot of times when you don't think about the marketing collateral and, and the one pagers and the little things that can easily be sent to that decision maker, what ends up happening is you're almost trusting the person and their notes uh, that they took. And then every second after that call that you had, the, it just starts leaving their brain and it starts leaving their notes and everything. Um, so therefore, instead of saying, Hey, okay, great, great, good call. Always send something that explains your company that throws those little bullet points of why you should use an agency and everything like that. So I think that is like the biggest thing in sales and marketing is really controlling that message all the way to the decision maker. Agreed. And I've never had anyone who wasn't really appreciative of oh having all of so these true. additional, yes. like, all of the support material, like people want that information. And it's, it's really surprising how many people fail to, to send that over or follow up, but it's, it's really important and it can really help you close a deal. I think it's everything. Uh, I, again, when I, I've started a couple companies and therefore you're starting from scratch. And that is the, the biggest thing that I noticed is just controlling that message all the way to the decision maker. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, Books and podcasts. I, I see not only do we, you know, obviously I highlight the plants behind you, but I see you have a few books behind you as well. So do you have any book or podcast recommendations? Doesn't have to be marketing, doesn't have to be business, it could be anything. Yeah. Um, I have a ton of book recommendations. I'm not 
I'm saying I'm not a huge podcast person while I'm on a podcast. So that's great. Um, but I'm, I, I read a lot. Um, so if I were making a suggestion for a book about marketing or building an agency, um, I think one of my favorites is a book called Agency Nomics. It was written by Peter Hool and Spencer Gallagher. Um, super short book, but I've actually sent it to a lot of our team members because I think it's, it's really, they have a lot of really great actionable advice for building out all of the separate departments that you need in a marketing agency. Um, and it's specifically focused for, for agencies that are under 5 million in revenue. It's about getting to 5 million in revenue. And then once you get to 5 million, getting to 10 million and then getting to 10 million, you can probably figure it out from there because you've already done a pretty good job. Um, but it breaks down kind of every department in a really nice sort of manageable, easy to understand way. So it talks about like the things that you need for good account management, things you need for good project management, how to build and create, uh, or how to build and manage creative teams. Um, it talks about pricing. It talks about how to, how to keep, you know, employee retention high, how to keep client turnover low. It's just, it's just a fantastic book. I actually find myself like bookmarking certain sections and then kind of jumping back to it every couple of months when I have an operational issue that I need to solve and just being like, okay, what do they say here? Is there any kind of advice? And I almost always find something that's a good takeaway. Any other, any other book recommendations? Uh, yeah. So I also read a lot of nonfiction. Um, this one is kind of a weird one, but it's called How to Feed a Dictator. And it's by a an author named Witold Sablowski, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I tend to like these like really odd sort of one-off books, but it's a really fascinating book about um, about you know, dictators, um, mostly in Eastern Europe and um, in Asia. And basically, this reporter actually went and found the former personal chefs to a bunch of dictators and interviewed them about their boss's eating habits. And what you really learn about a person through the culture of food and how they treat their employees and what they eat, um, which, again, is kind of like a really odd sort of, I don't know how you think of a book like that, but it's really fascinating. Um, and there are some really interesting kind of personal anecdotes and stories that he got from these, these private chefs and personal chefs. Uh, to these men. And yeah, the stories are, they're fascinating. And it's just a really interesting look inside, um, inside these kind of regimes that you don't really think about. Yeah, very interesting. I, I like that you threw a curveball there. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Um, we're not currently hiring, but we most likely will be over the next couple of months. Um, we tend to put all of our jobs on LinkedIn. So if people want to keep up with us, they can find us on LinkedIn, SNG Content Marketing. Um, we'll have jobs uh, on there and we'll be promoting them as well. Well, that was perfect because my last question is, or I guess statement is, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Sure. Um, you can visit us on our website, which is www.stuntandgimmicks.com. Um, SNG actually stands for Stunt and Gimmicks which is a whole other story on its own. Um, I wish we had more time to ask. Maybe <laughs> on the next one. You can also find us on LinkedIn, SMG Content Marketing, and on Twitter.
Perfect. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I thought you were just like honestly filled with a lot of new content that we haven't kind of said on the podcast before, which is great. Um, and for those of you who learned something new from this episode, please give us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.